T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This is Vet Story with Navy veteran Bill Briggs. I've learned that they're rarely larger-than-life characters of comic books or the Hollywood blockbusters. They walk among us, like my dad did, virtually unnoticed every day. They make the world a better place, quietly, anonymously. One person, one action at a time. Documented in the book No Surrender, a father, a son, and an extraordinary act of heroism that continues to live today, is author and pastor Chris Edmonds. Chris, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's a joy to be with you. Indeed. And it was a joy to flip through the book, No Surrender. And I have to just say, uh, before we even get into the interview, some of the bullet points we're going to cover here are an act of defiance on your father's part that saved many hundred Jewish American soldiers' lives and a thousand or more infantrymen in total. Um, a second act of defiance that uh, saved their lives uh, just amazing, amazing stories. And I know that we think about this every time we think of the World War II generation, but your dad, wow. Yeah, I, I thought he was a great guy before I knew all this. Now he's he's even skyrocketed above that. So I'm, I'm just very grateful for his uh, standing up for what's right, uh, for, for his men and, and ultimately for all of us, for humanity. In fact, let's just begin to unpack this book a little bit. What prompted you to start looking into your father's wartime experiences? Because like so many of the greatest generation, he probably kept a lot of those stories close to his vest and you didn't grow up hearing many of them. I didn't hear any of them. Uh, I, I mean, I knew he was a master sergeant. I knew he was in World War II. I knew, I knew that he served in the 106th Infantry, particularly in the 422nd Regiment, and that they had fought in the Battle of the Bulge. And, and I, obviously I knew he had been a POW. I didn't know for how long. I mean, he never talked about it. And when I asked and pressed him when I was in college, he, he still wouldn't talk about it. He did keep a couple of journals uh, while he was in, in the Army, and particularly in battle in the POW experience. And those were very intriguing, but they didn't tell me the, really any of, of the story that I later discovered. So I was just really, uh, you know, Dad died in 1985, and he took all that he knew and all that he experienced to, to his grave. And in 2000 and, and uh, about 2009, my, my, I was really interested in his diary again and uh, and and really felt a sense of a calling from from the Almighty to pursue this because my daughter was a history project in college on my father and and her grandfather. And from that experience of her putting a video together using his uh, words from his diary as narration, it prompted my heart in a powerful way. And I said, I got to find out what happened to dad. That's what sparked the journey. Amazing. And I would love to see that video sometime because, uh, you know, you said that just kind of the diary's words were sort of bare bones and they didn't reveal a whole lot. But imagine putting that together. What an emotional tribute to watch. And then you went on to do your own research saying, OK, well. 
Maybe, maybe the good Lord's calling me to put this book together, get it all documented. And you started to do some research on the 106th Infantry Division, but your Google search where you thought would direct you immediately to some sort of Library of Congress website or some sort of Infantry Division website, uh, you found something completely different. Yeah, absolutely. All those websites were there, but they were underneath this one story. Uh, the first link that popped up when I tapped in Master Sergeant Roddy Edmonds late that midnight um, was, was incredible. It was uh, titled Richard Dixon's Search for a New York Home. And immediately I'm thinking, why, why is Dad's rank and, and name highlighted in an article about President Nixon? And the article was written in 2008, and it, and it looked back in, in time to 1980 when the president wanted to move to New York. No one in New York wanted him to be their neighbor uh, for a variety of reasons, but they didn't want President Nixon to move back to New York, and so they, they basically wouldn't sell any of their properties, except for a gentleman, an attorney, a very prominent attorney in New York uh, named Lester Tanner, and he ended up ultimately selling his townhouse, a very prominent historic townhouse in a really nice district. I mean, the, the neighbors were Rockefeller and Schlesinger, so Lester sold it to the president. The editor is reflecting back on that story in 2008, and so he goes and interviews Lester about that experience. And in the context of that interview, Lester said for the first time ever, he said, I, I mentioned your father's name, and he said, had it not been for the bravery of my master sergeant, Roddy Edmonds, uh, none of this would have happened. And I read that, and I was stunned. So I, I immediately began a search for Lester, that ultimately led me to New York and sitting in the Harvard Club, um, in the library of the Harvard Club, and Lester telling me um, Dad's defiance and ultimately all of their defiance uh, when they were in the hands of the Nazis. There was one specific story of defiance that he shared with you that becomes a really critical part of the book. Really, I mean, this is something out of the Hollywood movies, but yet it is so core to what your dad, Roddy Edmonds, stood for and the kind of man he was. Yes, and I, I, I will. I'll share most of it. I think you know you really need to get the book to get the full gist of it. But Dad was the highest-ranking American soldier in the second Stalag, uh, Stalag Nine A near Ziegenhain. That 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 experience. The first Stalag was Stalag Nine B, Bad Orb, and um, and Lester was in that that Stalag with Dad as well. But in that Stalag, they had segregated the Jewish men. The orders were very clear that when they that first dialogue, they they ordered uh, one morning or one evening uh, late one night they ordered that uh, the following morning roll call only the Jewish men were to fall out, anyone who disobeyed the orders would be shot, and so the many of the Jewish men did fall out and they were sent to a prison within the prison basically is what Lester said, um, barbed wire barracks in the center of of that particular prison camp. And they were segregated as Jewish American GIs. And uh, many of those men were later sent to uh, a concentration camp uh, uh, where most of them died, called Berga. Lester, however, though he was in there for several days, um, and many others, non-commissioned officers, um, they were transferred out, along with Dad and all the non-commissioned officers because of overcrowding in that camp, to a second camp. And that's where we find Dad, Lester, and, and other uh, men who were with him approximately 1,300 American soldiers at Stalag 9A in Ziegenhain. It was near the, the end of the war, late January 1945. And so the Nazis had amazingly and brutally had anti 
Jew policies in the POW camps and segregated Jewish POWs from non-Jews. And so late on the evening of January 26, German officers ordered the same orders that they ordered earlier at that other camp, that only the Jewish soldiers were to report outside for the next morning's roll call. And Lester said, for the first time in, the, in this experience, he said, your father was in complete command, that he was the highest ranking soldier in, in our, our, our compound for the American forces. And he said, he, without hesitation, said, your dad turned to his men and said, we're not doing that. Tomorrow, we all fall out. And he sent orders to the other barracks, and that's what they did. And uh, it was bitterly cold that morning, January 27, 1945. And, and as the Nazi commander, a major from high command, Major Ziegman, approached, he couldn't believe his eyes. Standing before him were all the Americans, nearly 1,300 soldiers lined up in sharp formation. So the major storms over to my father. He's angry. He gets up in his face. and He says, they cannot all be Jews. To which my father declared, we are all Jews here. Uh, Lester said the Nazi turned blood red. Said he lunged forward. He pressed his pistol hard into my dad's forehead. And he screamed at him, one last chance. Sergeant, you will order the Jewish prisoners to step forward or I will shoot you right now. So I'm going to leave you with that. I'm going to leave you hanging. <laughs> uh, but but that's that was the act of defiance. It wasn't just that. That truly, his leadership was a, was a complete act of, of leadership and defiance. But then the men, they chose to go out with him and and to protect their Jewish brothers. Any one of those non-Jewish men could have stayed in the barracks, but they all went and they all stood together. And you got to understand, they've been in brutal battle. I mean, eighty-nine thousand Allied. Soldiers had been killed, captured, or wounded in the in the largest and bloodiest battle in World War II, the Battle of the Bulge. They'd been on a, a death march on their way to the camp. If you didn't march, it didn't last. They'd been bombed while imprisoned in boxcars, left for dead by the Germans, bombed by the British who didn't know they were in those boxcars. Several hundred men were killed in that bombing, including Dad's chaplain. They had experienced 40 days of starvation. Mm. They'd been beaten stripped of dignity and the one word that dad had shared with me humiliated um and yet their dad stood strong fearless resolute with all of his men they all stood together and so that was the first act of defiance and we'll just have to let the book tell you how it ends and there were other acts of defiance the, the, the book is a remarkable journey back in time but it speaks loudly to today Indeed, there's something we can draw from them. And I've really enjoyed looking at my own family history and looking at my grandparents who served in World War II. And there's just something you kind of take away from that when you hear about their stories that is timeless. And it is as applicable today in this complex, weird world we live in that's so full of drama, trauma, and narcissism. I mean, just to hear these stories of these men that oh, yeah. stood up and did these great things, it really just lifts your spirits. Just absolutely great. I will not give away the ending there, but uh, again, there was other times <laughs> when he had other acts of defiance, even with the sounds of the Allied artillery and tanks rolling in as the Americans and the Allied forces drew closer and Germany was getting ready to march them deeper into Germany, away from this POW camp. And there were more acts of defiance. And it's just a thrill, a thrill to read about those. Um, I want to touch on one thing before we let you go. And that is, you obviously got a chance to meet Lester Tanner. And you got a chance to talk to him 
face to face about the yes. stories of your father, um, a man who he deeply revered and that you know none of this. Um, what were some of the most touching moments or what was a touching moment when you spoke with Lester? Well, there's been many because Lester and I have become dear friends. I visit him often in New York. Um, and uh, the, obviously uh, the first time I talked with him uh, in person, uh, I was expecting um, someone different than I, than I actually saw. I mean, he, he come walking in to the Harvard Club, uh, this tall, dapper, strong-looking individual, and squeezed my hand, and and you know, I just uh, I just felt almost transported back to to World War II. But he he wasn't old, he wasn't frail, and he was a man who loved life and exuded that. He he enjoyed every day that he's given as a gift, and he looked forward to tomorrow with excitement. I mean, he was in his nineties, now he's in his mid nineties. I still have to make an appointment two or three weeks in advance just to catch up with him. I mean, he's <laughs> he, he's. He, even though he is dealing with, with health issues, he doesn't hear well. He takes on dialysis three days a week, but yet he's still vibrant and full of life. And the main thing he told me, he said, Chris, he said, that day when your father did what he did, he said it was a defining moment in my life. It's from that day forward, I chose to do what was right for others, regardless of the risk, regardless of the circumstances. And he said, I've done that ever since. And then with a grin, he would say, you know, as a New York lawyer, that's not always easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my next so, question was like, how difficult was that for him as an attorney? Certainly. Wow. Uh, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful take there. Wonderful take on that. Let me just say my father, my father was um, uh, honored by the nation of Israel as righteous among the nations because of him uh, rescuing Jewish people. And he, he was uh, awarded the righteous as only the fifth American, he's the first U.S. soldier to receive righteous among the nations. And according to Yad Vashem, he's the first of the righteous to save American Jews. So we're very honored, very proud of that. He's also being considered for a congressional gold medal here in the United States, the High Civilian Award. And we hope someday to see him receive the Medal of Honor as well. We do, too. Um, I guess I want to close, Reverend, as you do every Sunday as a preacher. Um, there's a moral, there's, there's a takeaway from every one of your sermons. What do you think the moral of this story is about your father? I'd be like my dad and his men, um, enjoy life. Life is a gift. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so we should enjoy every second we're given. Enjoy life. The second thing is express love. Uh, we're on this planet, uh, because of God's love and we need to share that love with everyone uh, and be gracious about it be kind to a fault um, and then uh, the final thing is embrace the good Lord above um, when, when we do that there, all of us are spiritual in nature and um, uh, we've been created with a hunger to have a relationship with God so satisfy that hunger get with God and enjoy him as well amen Amen. I love to hear you talk, Reverend Edmonds. Such a pleasure. I love to read your writing. Thank you, sir. The book is No Surrender, A Father, A Son, and an Extraordinary Act of Heroism that continues to live on today. Chris Edmonds, thank you so much for writing it, and thank you so much for sharing your time today. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, all your listeners can go to nosurrenderbook.com. There's lots of other pictures that aren't in the book. There's a reading guide 
there's also it's also a young readers edition uh, and it's on audio version as well but no surrenderbook.com and let me just have a shout out to the to the veterans of the world thank you thank you thank you for your sacrifice and your love for our country keep up the great work T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning right now families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch visit your local T-Mobile store today Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.